Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. But what we wanted to do this morning is just spend some time talking about the the war in Israel, all that's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Um, And I'm sure, you know, you've seen it across all sorts of different news platforms and social media posts that what's going on over the last week and so much of the news is so horrific and so devastating that's, that's come out of there. And amongst all of that, the Bible actually has a lot to say about the Middle East and what is playing out, both from a historical perspective, but also the future. And so we want to look at, you know, what's happening there today, but the prophetic history and also the prophetic future of, of Israel and try to, to bring some of those things together. And you know, it's obviously not necessarily the, the easiest topic to talk about. It's not a fun, lighthearted, kind of happy, clappy, um, you know, everything is easy with Jesus kind of topic. But we want to be a church community that continues to have conversations, even around difficult, challenging issues. And that's part of being the church. And I pray that as the church, we would be people who, you know, begin to rediscover our voice in some of those places in society where we've lost it. Um, and it's not necessarily about always having all the answers. And I'm certainly not sitting here saying I've got the answers for everything that's going on in, in the Middle East. But it's about having a conversation and beginning to talk and grow and, and, and learn together. And so I'm certainly not putting myself out as an expert in Middle Eastern politics or Middle Eastern prophecy. Um, the, the conflict is, is very, very complex. And my theology isn't perfect either. There's still plenty of room for, for me to grow. And you know, amongst us or other people that might end up listening to this, we might have different views on different parts of what Scripture says about Israel and how things might unfold. And I pray, though, that through this time, we're able to just grow in our own understanding of the Word and perhaps be encouraged to spend more time researching and praying and standing for what God is doing at the moment. Um, Because whether we like it or not, we're we're living in a significant moment in history. There's what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. There's now what's going on with Israel and and Hamas. Even this week, there was a huge earthquake in Afghanistan where thousands of people passed away as well. There's there's a lot happening at the moment, and we want to be people who are equipped to remain faithful in the midst of the shaking, in the midst of of all that's, that's going on. And having a biblical perspective and an opportunity to, to talk and share and grow together around what the Bible say, says into some of these things is really important because it helps us to discern what's going on, helps us to be more effective in our prayers, and also helps us to be able to stand and be the voice for God in our generation. And beyond all of that, though, my prayer really is that as we open up the scriptures, as we open up the Bible, and begin to look at how it applies to the world around us, we would perhaps fall even more in love with the Word of God, more in love with Jesus and be drawn closer and closer to Him in loving God and loving our neighbours because I find it amazing. Every time there's something that goes on, if we spend enough time praying and researching, the Bible has something to say about 
whatever it is, whatever crisis, whatever circumstance, there's, there's some truth and God is always speaking. And so, you know, turning our attention to what's going on over the last week in the Middle East, where Hamas, which is a, an Islamic Palestinian terrorist organization that governs the Gaza Strip, they launched an attack on Israel last, last Saturday, which was the last day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. You know, I think the day was not a coincidence. Um, it was the last day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, and it was also the 50th anniversary of the, the Yom Kippur War, which was another war between you know, Muslims and, and Jews about the land and what was going on in, in the Middle East. And just to start with, as you know, speaking into the Bible, having something to say about everything, it even has a bit to say about Hamas itself. And I'm not sure whether people are aware of this, but the Hebrew word Hamas is used 60 times in the Old Testament. And it's translated as violence, cruelty, wrong, injustice, and unrighteousness. The first time Hamas was used was actually speaking about the violence that was flooding out over the earth right before Noah and his family got into the ark and God had to start things again. The violence that was kind of spreading through all mankind was described as Hamas. And then there's a number of other references throughout the Old Testament. And even that in itself is fascinating that the Bible uses the word Hamas in describing violence and and cruelty. And, you know, I, I think in some of these things, while there's so much you know, political stuff that is, you know, how different nations respond and the statements the governments make and all those sorts of things. There's a lot of nuance around all of that. I think, for, for me at least, I believe that this is a, a time where we should be making a stand and being clear on, on who we support. And, and for me personally, you know, I, I think I'm clear that I support Israel and I support the Jewish people, but at the same time, we're also praying for absolutely everyone that's affected by the conflict. You know, we can be a church and we can be a people who can make a stand but also demonstrate love for everyone. And that applies not just in this issue but in so many other issues as well. And I think at times we've held back as a church from saying anything because we've been afraid of, you know, upsetting someone or not wanting to put anyone offside. But I pray that we're coming to a time where we can make a stand but also genuinely love everyone that's a part of whatever the issue might be. And so, yes, I stand with Israel, I stand with the Jewish people, and I condemn the terrorist acts of of Hamas, but I'm also praying for everyone in Israel, in Gaza, the Jews, the Muslims, the Palestinians, wherever they are and whatever part of the crisis or, or the violence they might have, we're praying that in the midst of all of that, God would protect them all, that, that, that God's love would fill their hearts, that the veils of deception would be removed from all of their eyes, whatever part of the, the, the situation they might be a part of, and that everyone, you know, and us included, would continue to turn God as our turn to God as our place of refuge, our place of safety and, and security. Because, you know, in the midst of all of this, you know, being reminded that Jesus died for everyone. No matter our cultural background, no matter our religious background, no matter how violent or brutal or evil some of our actions may or may not have been, no one is beyond redemption in Jesus. And just continuing to keep that in our hearts and in our prayers in how we navigate through some of the things that are going on. And so with that as a bit of an introduction, 
you know, I wanted to spend a bit of time looking at the history of where we find ourselves today because, unfortunately, the violence and the cruelty and, and all that's going on, the hatred towards the Jewish people is not new. It's something that's been going on for, for thousands of years. Even some of the, the footage that's coming out of, you know, protests and things that are going on around the world that are really, in a lot of ways, anti-Semitic. Um, and that hatred is, is not new, sadly. There's been groups of people in the Middle East and around the world that have wanted to destroy the Jewish people and, and take their land for many, many years. And it's, it's all throughout Scripture as well, as our more recent modern history. Right from the beginning where Pharaoh right, declared that every Hebrew boy was to be destroyed and instructed the midwives to make sure that that happened in, in Exodus. There was Haman, the Amalekite, in the days of Esther, who wanted to see the, the Jewish people destroyed. There was King Herod when Jesus was born, who wanted to destroy every boy in and around Bethlehem two years or, or younger. We've obviously seen in modern history, whether it's the Nazis or other things that have, have come out, I believe that there is a, a demonic spirit or principality that's been in operation for thousands of years. That, that, that is still trying to destroy the Jewish people and take their land. And it's that spirit that's operating behind Hamas now and, and many of the allies and the countries that are, are partnering with them. You know, they have support from Iran and Afghanistan and, and Lebanon and, and other countries or parts of them. And they are all openly saying that they want to destroy the Jewish people. Some of their chants are talking about you know, from the river to the from the sea to the river, Palestine will be free, and that's specifically saying that they will wipe out the nation of Israel and wipe out the the Jewish people that that live there. And so, understanding, I think, the history of this kind of demonic agenda is is really important in our response and how we pray in response to what's going on, because we begin to realize that we're not praying against people but we're praying against a, a demonic agenda and a, and a demonic principality. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of things in social media that I'm a little bit grieved by that seem to be suggesting that you almost kind of are praying against particular people or you shouldn't be praying for grace or love for particular people and instead focus on other things. But, but actually... You know, we should be praying that the demonic agenda or the demonic principality that sits behind some of what's going on, that that's destroyed and torn down rather than people themselves. Because Jesus died for all of us. And I think that helps inform the way we pray and, and how we pray into some of what's, what's going on at the moment. And another part of informing our prayers and discerning where we find ourselves is understanding more about how did this all start? Where did this all come from? Where did this demonic agenda begin? And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time unpacking that. And in order to do that, we need to go all the way back to Genesis, right at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12, and look at the promises that God gave to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. Genesis 12, 1-7. I'm reading from the New King James. And this is the first promise that God gives to, to Abraham, who was known as Abram. 
at that point in time. And it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai's wife and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So there's two key parts to the promise that God gives Abraham here. This is two key parts to the Abrahamic covenant. And one is that Abraham's descendants, who include the Jewish people, they will be a blessing to the whole earth, that in them all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the second part, key part of that covenant, is that God will give them the land of Canaan. And so just turning to that promise around the land briefly, and and this, this promise around giving Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan is is confirmed and repeated many, many times throughout Scripture. Even just in the next few chapters of, of Genesis. Genesis 13, you know, Abraham gets into the land and then God says, for all the land that which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Genesis 17, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. But it's not only just repeated to Abraham, it's repeated throughout the generations. That covenant is confirmed to Isaac in Genesis 26. It's confirmed to Jacob in Genesis 28. It's confirmed to Moses in Deuteronomy 30. It's confirmed to Joshua in Joshua 1. It's also confirmed to Jeremiah. There's there's a number of times throughout the Old Testament where that same promise is repeated and, and confirmed. And this perhaps is a little bit controversial, but I believe that this promise and this covenant that that God made to Abraham, God said that it would be their possession forever and God is a a promise-keeping God. And so that promise, that covenant, it was made before the law was introduced. I'm not aware of anything in the Bible that says the promises that God gave to Abraham have been replaced. In, In fact, it's the opposite. There's many passages in the New Testament that actually talk about you know, the promises of Abraham being part of our New Testament, New Covenant inheritance, whether it's in Galatians and, and other parts. And so I believe that that land of Canaan and the promise that God said to Abraham that he would give it to them and their descendants continues to apply today. And, and I don't want to get into great detail around the boundaries of the land, but, you know, at a minimum, the land that God promised Abraham, that land of Canaan, and the boundaries are described in Genesis in a number of places. That includes the land of of the Gaza Strip. It includes the West Bank. It includes large parts of the Middle East of other nations around them. And it's, it's not necessarily a popular thing to talk about from a political perspective, but the boundaries of the land that God set include 
Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. And how God is going to make that happen, I'm not sure. But I believe that there's going to be a time where Israel establishes itself according to the boundaries that God promised all those years ago. And so when you begin to get a picture of that, you know, perhaps it's not surprising that some of the the countries around Israel are supporting Hamas and and have an issue with Israel and their belief system and and who they are. Because perhaps in, in its most simplest form, in many ways, this is also a battle for land. You know, Muslims believe that the land belongs to them. And that's why we've got a a mosque sitting on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem at the moment. There's a battle for the physical land. And, you know, when you begin to see the promises that are through Genesis, you begin to see that this battle for land really is just a a picture of a deeper spiritual battle that is is going on around the promises of God and the fulfillment of, of those. And so that deeper level you know, is, is beginning to understand not just the land, but also the history of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And, and perhaps we might not all be aware of this, but actually Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their lineage back to Abraham. Islam as well, they trace their lineage back to, to Abraham. He's the father of faith for the Jews. He's the father of faith for us as Christians. And he's the father of faith for Muslims. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and Jews are descendants of Isaac. And you'll still hear in synagogue today, and you read it all throughout Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, they're the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's through the the name of the tribe of Judah that we get the name Jew. That's where that, that comes from. And Christians... You know, we really are a continuation of that same line, a fulfillment of the prophecies that were spoken over the Jewish people. And we've been grafted into the olive tree of Israel, as it says in, in Romans eleven, seventeen 17 to, to 18. So Judaism and Christianity flows through the line of Abraham to Isaac, Jacob, and generations after that. But Muslims believe that they are descendants of Ishmael. And remember, according to, to Genesis 16, Sarah couldn't have children. And so she encouraged Abraham to go and sleep with the Egyptian slave Hagar. And she became pregnant and gave birth to, to Ishmael. And the Quran apparently says that Ishmael was a prophet and an apostle. And they believe that Muhammad was a descendant of, of Ishmael. And so Abraham was, was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And then 14 years later... God speaks to him again about the birth of Isaac. And these words here, I believe, are the beginning of the tension that we've seen play out over the last 6,000 years or 4,000 years since, since Abraham was around. So Genesis 16, verses 19 to 21. And I think this is important to understand. Genesis 16, 19 to 21. Remember that God has spoken to Abraham saying that in you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed and I'll give your descendants the land of Canaan. He doesn't mention who those descendants will be or which lineage they will come through up until this moment in Genesis 16, 19 to 21. 
It says, but God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. We've seen that come to pass. The millions and millions of, of Muslims that there are and Arabs are around the around the nations. He will become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. And so I believe that this really is the beginning of the spiritual war between Jews and Muslims that we're seeing play out on our TV screens today. The issue was not so much that God chose Abraham and said that he would bless all the people of the earth through him and give him the land of Canaan. The issue really is that God chose to confirm his covenant through Isaac and not through Ishmael. And that in itself set up this kind of war and battle that's been playing out for thousands of years. And and I feel like, you know, God being sovereign knew how all of these things were going to play out. And in fact, I think he spoke into this tension. He spoke into this animosity. He spoke into the, the battle before Ishmael was even born. When you look at what God says in describing who Ishmael was going to be, Genesis 16 and verse 12, it's, it's really quite fascinating. Genesis 16 and verse 12, God says, He, Ishmael, will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against every man continually fighting and every man's hand against him and he will dwell in defiance of all his brothers. Isn't that interesting? 4,000 years ago, before Ishmael was even born, God says that he will be a wild man who's going to be continually fighting. And that is the lineage through which, even just reading the Quran, that Muslims have followed. And I'm certainly not saying that, you know, every single Muslim out there is constantly fighting. But I believe that this is the root of Islamic terrorism. This is where that has come from. You see the prophecy here that they are going to continually fight and they will dwell in defiance of all of those around them. We've seen this play out on our TV screens, certainly over the last 20 plus years and, and more. God chose Isaac as the carrier of the blessing and not Ishmael. And so there's a tension and a battle and a a war there. And ever since that time, I believe the devil has been trying to destroy the Jewish lineage of that blessing and to take their land. And that makes sense. That's a principle just for our lives, that whatever God blesses, the enemy tries to destroy. And so God chose to bless Abraham, Isaac and the Jewish lineage. And so the enemy's trying to destroy that. And so what's happening in Israel at the moment really is just the latest installment of this battle that's been going on for for 4,000 years. And so where to from here? What do I think is happening at the moment? Where is this war going to go? How is this going to end? Look, uh, I personally don't know and I don't feel like I know enough and I don't feel like God is said clearly you know, how this is going to end or where this is going to end up or what might happen over the coming weeks and months. And I know different people are posting things and sharing things around, is this World War III and how is this going to play out? And look, I, I do believe that this moment is significant. I do believe that it's different than the, the flare-ups or little skirmishes that we have seen over the last however many years. But at this stage, personally, I, I don't believe that 
we're going to see this escalate into, into World War III um, and certainly something we can be praying into. I feel like one of the things, you know, that would be helpful in our prayers is that other nations would not be drawn into the conflict because if we see Lebanon or Iran or Afghanistan or other nations drawn in, then perhaps we could see it escalate quite quickly. I think one of the, one of the things that has struck me and I heard someone else share this, and it's out of, of Psalm 83, um, that, that in my mind seems to describe some of what's going on at the moment. Psalm 83, and I'm just going to read the first few verses of, of Psalm 83. And hopefully this is helpful in providing a little bit of context. And it, and it says, Psalm 83, verse 1. Oh God, don't sit idly by, silent and inactive. Don't you hear the tumult of your enemies? Don't you see what your arrogant enemies are doing? They devise crafty schemes against your people, laying plans against your precious ones. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of, his, of its existence. This was their unanimous decision. They signed a treaty as allies against you. These Edomites and Ishmaelites, speaking about the lineage of, of Ishmael, Moabites and Hagrites, Jebelites, Ammonites and Amalekites. Amalekite is the same lineage where Haman was from in the days of Esther. That's the same lineage. And people from Philistia and Tyre, Assyria has joined them too and is allied with the descendants of Lot. And so this is really just painting a picture of what we're seeing play out, where a number of nations are coming up with plans and making treaties together to try to wipe out Israel and the, the Jewish people. And then that, that psalm goes on and effectively says that God will, you know, the prayer is that, that God will deal with them and make sure that their plans don't come to pass. Um, and it says, you know, let them be ashamed and terrified forever. Make them failures in everything they do until they learn that you alone are called the Lord, that you alone are the most high, supreme over all the earth. And that in itself can be a, a helpful prayer, believing that, you know, the enemy's plans would fail and that they would learn that God alone is the Lord. And so I don't believe that, you know, we're at a point in time right now where I think this is going to, you know, in the next few weeks become World War III. Um, but I don't know how it's going to play out over the next few weeks and months. But there's a couple of things that I, that I do know based on reading Scripture, and I want to just touch on those very briefly. And one of those is that just like that psalm, and there's a number of promises throughout Scripture that, that Israel will not be destroyed. That, that land will continue to be the nation of Israel. Israel was reestablished as a nation 75 years ago, May 14, 1948, in the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 66 and verse 8. Right, who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a day? Well, yes, it has. Israel was born in a day on May 14th, 1948. And also part of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, that is where you know, God says that I'll, put, I'll write my law on their hearts and I will you know, make a new covenant. Part of that, the Lord says in Jeremiah 31, 35 to 36, 
Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and of the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea's roaring billows or stills the waves when they roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, so speaking of day and night and moon and stars and waves, if that departs from before me, says the Lord, then the descendants of Israel also will cease from being a nation. So basically saying, you know, unless the whole world stops operating the way I've designed it to operate, Israel will continue to remain as a nation before me. And so we know that Israel will not be destroyed. And secondly, I know that God has great plans for Israel. And if we read through Romans 11, I mentioned before, that's the passage, verses 17 and 18, that talk about us as Gentile believers being grafted into the olive tree. The continuation of that speaks to the great future of Jews and Christians coming together as one new man with Jesus Christ as as our Messiah. And Romans 11, verses 25 to 29, and it says, Romans 11, 25 to 29, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. I don't know what the number of Gentiles is. At some point, we're going to get to a time where the fullness of the, the days or the number of Gentiles is fulfilled. God has, has brought salvation to the nations across the world apart from the Jewish people. And when that moment happens, it says, and so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. And so there's going to come a time where Israel will be saved. You know, just because they're a part of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that, you know, true olive tree doesn't mean that they don't need Jesus. They too need to turn and repent of their sins and receive salvation in him just like us as as Gentiles do. But God still loves the Jewish people and, and a time is coming where those hard hearts will soften and salvation will sweep across the land. And I believe that we're living in the beginning of the fulfillment of that. I was doing some research and reading some things just this week in preparing and came across a survey that suggests that the number of Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Jesus as Messiah, has more than tripled just in the last 20 years. You know, we're beginning to see more and more Jews receive Jesus as their Messiah. Also more and more ministries that are feeling like they are commissioned to serve the body of Christ in, in that way. And, you know, it also is beginning to see more and more unity between Jews and Christians. There's more and more combined organizations that are working together, that are supporting one another. Um, and we're seeing an increase in that. And I think we're seeing more and more of, a, of an awakening across parts of the body of Christ to Israel and the promises around that. And I think, to be honest, if God is going to, to you know, turn this terrible situation for good, one of those, I feel like, is that more and more people will be awake to what's going on in Israel across the body of Christ and more broadly, that there's going to be more people, I think, on on Israel's side and beginning to dig into what Scripture says about that than before. And that, again, continues to point to this time where Jews and Christians come together as one new man 
And I think that time is going to be really special and it's spoken about throughout Scripture. Galatians 3, and I love these couple of verses. Galatians 3, 28 to 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what I love about that is that it removes any division or any superiority for any particular nation or cultural background, but it also honours the, the Jewish people in the sense that the promises of God did come through Abraham. But that doesn't mean that they're any more important than Gentiles or anyone from any other nation. That's just the historical path through which God choose to, chose to bring his blessing. But now we're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus. And there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, under Jesus as Messiah. And we're all one body. And I think that's a really beautiful picture and a powerful picture to, to remember. And so, you know, I pray that we would continue to seek God, that the light of salvation would shine on the Middle East during this time because they all need to receive him. Jews, Muslims, Palestinians, wherever they're from and whatever their background might be, that that veil of deception on Jews, but the veil of deception also on Muslims would be removed. And the church also in Israel and Gaza, what a challenging time it must be for them at the moment to be praying for them that they would be able to have the the boldness to shine the light of Christ, to be the city on a hill in the midst of the darkness all around them. And so while there's, you know, a struggle and and darkness, there are great days ahead. And, you know, as we get closer and closer to Jesus' second coming, there's going to be more and more stuff that's going on, more and more shaking that happens. And I only want to mention one final thing, and then we'll you know, open up for, for conversation and questions and, and other thoughts. You know, I don't want to spend too, t- too much focusing on the end times and, and, and how everything might, might play out, but just one thing that perhaps might be helpful in navigating some of the things that you might have read on social media or some of the stuff that's out there, and that is, you know, whether this is the beginning of World War Three or the um, war that's described in Zechariah 14 and, and Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog. Um, you may well have heard people talk about that in the context of end times. Is this this circumstance? Just a couple of very quick thoughts on, on that. Yes, I believe that that is something that is going to happen, but that will be right before Jesus comes back. There's going to be a day when all of the nations turn against Israel. Not just some, but all of the nations turn against Israel. And at that time, Jesus will come down from heaven. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is exactly the place that he ascended from in Acts. He will come back in the same place, stand on the Mount of Olives and bring judgment and victory. Save Israel and bring victory in the name of Jesus and establish his kingdom. And that's described quite clearly in Zechariah 14. I'll just read this. And I think one of the, one of the main reasons I feel like the season that we're in right now is not the fulfillment of this is because we have a number of nations that are supporting Israel. You know, praise the Lord, including Australia, while maybe their stance might not be as strong or as positive as some people might want, they are certainly supporting Israel. And so are a number of other nations. And so we certainly can't say that all of the nations have turned against Israel. We're not in that, that scenario just yet. So Zechariah 14, I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. And it says, 
Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you, Jerusalem, will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured and the houses plundered and the women ravished and half of the city will be exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in half from the east to the west by a very large valley. Many will say that that is speaking about a big earthquake that's going to happen. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 specifically describes it as an earthquake. And half of the mountain will move toward the north and half of it toward the south. And then verse 9, it says, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord shall be the only one and his name the only name. And so that day is coming, but I don't believe it's, it's now for the reason that all the nations haven't turned against Israel. But also a lot of this seems to suggest that people are coming to try and take the spoils of Israel. And at the moment so far, it seems more it's a war of just hatred and killing as opposed to necessarily trying to actually you know, take what Israel has. It's more a war of, of hatred and, and killing. So I don't believe that we're in that yet, but that time is is coming. And so things aren't necessarily going to get easier for the Jewish people and it's not going to get easier for Israel and us as the body of Christ can play our part in praying and standing and continuing to provide our support for what we believe is God's promises and God's purposes. And so, you know, regardless of, of how this all ends up, what the next few weeks, what the next few months might look like, my prayer is that we would be wise We would be watchful, we would be prayerful, and we would be devoted to Jesus in all that's that's going on. I was reminded of the parable of the ten virgins in in Matthew 25, right? That we want to be those that have oil in our lamp when the bridegroom returns, when Jesus comes back. And, And part of keeping oil in our lamp, I think, is growing in our understanding of the times and the seasons. So we know how to respond and we're engaged and present with what God is doing. Because that not only prepares us for when Jesus comes back, but hopefully it, it fans the flame of love and devotion in our lives as well.